Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Star Trek Culture on Culture Slate. I'm your host, Liana Ahmed. I'm here with my lovely, wonderful co-host, Stephen Chinder. You can catch Culture Slate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a Patreon account if you're ever curious about what it is that we do behind the scenes, how often I can't say my own name or remember things, and also some of our future projects and other assignments. And if you're also just interested in writing for Culture Slate, please do drop us a line at the link below, which is a culture, Star Trek Culture uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Well, Stephen, before we get into the episode, we've got some Star Trek news. Um, I'll go first because mine's on the maligned and less loved Kelvin timeline, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> so, well, as you know, the Kelvin timeline is fully a Paramount movie uh, franchise, and uh, there have been rumblings about a fourth movie, whether we like it or not. <laughs> but actually, those rumblings have come to a, a halt. Uh, Noah Hawley's movie has officially been put on hiatus. I think uh, Emma Watts wants to go in a different direction with the Star Trek franchise, so I don't know what that really means. And now that... The entirety of Star Trek is technically under one umbrella again. We might uh, see something else completely. Maybe it ties back in instead of being Kelvin. What about you? What yeah, are your thoughts? It's, it's weird because when Star Trek was rebooted with the Kelvin timeline, you know, I, I really liked that it had an in-universe reason for being rebooted and wasn't just like a separate thing. Like it kind of connects and the backstory of Picard even connects back to it, which is cool. But when it got rebooted, it certainly brought in a new generation of fans. Like it, it even reignited my brother's love of Star Trek and made me want to like watch the older stuff. But now that Star Trek is back as a TV franchise, like the Kelvin timeline feels kind of like a footnote since we haven't gotten a fourth film yet alongside the new TV stuff. And uh, speaking for myself, I really like the first movie, which I refer to as Star Trek Into Brightness, because <laughs> I don't like just calling it Star Trek or Star Trek 2009. Um, Into Darkness, there were some things I did like. like It was thrilling, but it has its problems, which we've all like beaten <laughs> to death by this point. Yes. Um, Beyond, I know lots of people thought Beyond was an improvement. I wasn't as thrilled with it. Uh, there were some parts that felt too action-y to me, but I was interested in the prospect of a fourth movie, possibly having Chris Hemsworth back as Kirk's dad and seeing whether it would be time travel or mirror universe. But it seems like that hasn't progressed. And we've heard like other rumblings of like maybe Tarantino doing a movie and yeah. ne- I love Noah Hawley and I love yeah. Noah Hawley's yeah. um, work on the TV shows Fargo and Legion of uh, the latter being like an X-Men spinoff show mm-hmm. which was very artistic and it's unlike lots of other things on TV it's, it's it feels more like a series of surreal music videos and it's fun to watch it's it's um, um it's a trip and i mean that literally like wait am i on some did i what was in my drink again like i thought this was right. a normal beverage so like, <laughs> so like the idea of a potentially more experimental star trek movie would intrigue me i don't know if that's where they would have gone with it but i, I do 
like, like it sounds like there's not much going on on the Kelvin side now, but I would legitimately um, be curious to see what the next Kelvin movie would be if they ever do that. Like, I'm not discounting it entirely. And it's easier to enjoy it, um, especially now that we have the prime timeline still going on. Like, we could have both going on alongside it and just, like, you know, please, like, different sides of the fandom, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I forget which movie it is, but there was a specific film where I was alone in the theater watching it. Something I don't normally like to do, but for this premiere night, I was by myself. Having just come from dance class, I was kind of sweaty and gross and was crammed in a theater with a full theater with other people. So I was kind of hunkered down. But towards the end of the movie where Chris Pines Kirk has to um, shoot something through a small hole, very, very reminiscent of A New Hope. I was like, and I said this out loud just because I was tired and kind of just frustrated. I was like, you've got to be effing kidding me. And I said it a little too loud because the person two seats over heard me he turned over and he said i know right and so it was like a whole like five of us basically were just kind of like at the end kind of laughing at it and and it just i wanted to love it. i love the casting God, don't get me wrong the casting of that movie is is on point it is where you know i it's the dream cast for star trek for like if you wanted the old characters recast right but i also have a problem a lot of times with recasting old things like people always want to recast something that's been done previously. It's like, why recast? Let's just move it forward. This is, of course, Star Trek, right? This isn't right. some other show. We're not trying to recast, you know, like a What's Happening or a Friends or something like that. This is something that is, you know, futuristic by its very nature and should keep moving forward. And that was part of my thing of, like, why do we need to even bother with the reboot? And I'm air-quoting reboot. It's like, it's like why, why do we need that? And I, I don't know if that was something that Abrams was forced to do or not, because I, otherwise I like his work. I love J.J. Abrams' other things, but I just thought his treatment of Star Trek and, you know, we'll put a pin in Star Wars for later, (laughs) 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 wasn't exactly the treatment I was looking for. But uh, I am also looking forward to something fourth in that series, just because I want to see what that cast and crew can do next. I, I do have a lot of faith in the action and everything else that, um, you know, like that last film had a couple of nice things about it that people tend to overlook. There was that slight tie to, you know, Star Trek Enterprise. There was, um, yeah. the homage to, uh, to Leonard Nimoy. There's a lot of little good things that they did. And so, um, it has the spirit of Star Trek for sure. Um, you know, let's just give it some, let's give them that opportunity to maybe wrap up the Kelvin timeline <laughs> with a nice little bow. I don't know. <laughs> But what about you? You've got some other interesting facts as well. Yeah, so this is another GalaxyCon announcement. So December 5th, this Saturday, is when they're having a couple more virtual things. Uh, So just looking at my phone so I have the times correct. Uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. There's an event with William Shatner and Kate Mulgrew Mm -hmm. for Captains of Star Trek. Uh, so they're doing duo virtual photo ops, single video chats, personalizing autographs, and a free live stream Q&A. And later that day at 6 p.m. Eastern, there is something called Guest Stars of Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for virtual photo ops. Uh, this includes Bobby Clark, who played a Gorn, Sean Kenny, you know, Christopher Pike, Lieutenant DePaul, Nathan Jung, who played Genghis Kong. Mariette Hartley, who played Zarabeth, 
and France Nguyen, who played Alon of Troyes. Um, oh, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it says personalized autographs are available through December 6th. Cool. So if you want to look up more info on that virtual event going on this Saturday, you can go to galaxycom.com and you should be able to find it. Awesome, so, yep. Yeah, it's, it's always Star Trek stuff going on at cons, like, all the time, it feels like, but it's great. Well, Galaxy Con's done a great job of, of uh, keeping the fandom from getting too restless. Um, normally, they, they have, they're an East Coast fa- uh, fan con, you know, I don't know if they necessarily have anything on the West Coast, like, Creation takes care of Star Trek typically, or used to, uh, but on the West Coast, I mean, on the Far East Coast, there, they were responsible, I know, for one of the cons in like Richmond, Virginia, and some of the other areas out that way. But with, um, with the lockdown, nobody's had anything else to do. Some other groups have created their own community cons and things like that. And, you know, there was start, uh, uh, San Diego, uh, Comic Con was stay at home, San Diego Comic Con. And then, uh, so pretty much every other month, or it feels like almost every month now, Galaxy Con has been filling the void for fans uh, to be able to connect with, especially Star Trek fans. There's at least once a month there, they've been putting on something for us. And I'm really, really thankful for that. I won't be able to do anything this coming Saturday, unfortunately, but I will, I'm glad to, you know, maybe I can catch that six o'clock one. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so let's get into the episode. Uh, this yeah. is. Yeah. This is season three, episode eight, the sanctuary, the sanctuary, right? So we have a lot of interesting things. Like the preview was again, the first conversation that we have, it's about Giorgio and then Giorgio is being empress or emperor Giorgio. And uh, she's giving uh, Dr. Culber a piece of her mind about uh, how medicine was practiced in the Terran Empire and, quite frankly, it's terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying, exactly. <laughs> we love our puns, and we will not apologize. Yeah. The real discovery is the discovery of all these puns. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why we want us to keep moving forward, because otherwise the puns are just kind of like retreads, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not so funny anymore. Well, we also then have a Bookum, and I'm still shipping, well, they're a ship now for sure, um, yeah. Burnham and Book. Um, they Bookum. have just physically turned into a starship in this episode. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Well, they are, um, they're together officially, and we get word that uh, Quajon is um, is under some kind of attack, or some, there's something wrong with Quajon. His brother, Book's brother, who hasn't contacted him in like 15-something years, reaches out, and if that's the case, then there's something seriously wrong, um, and uh, Book wants Burnham to join him. And of course, my first thought, and I think, Pretty much everyone was like, oh, great, here we go again. She's going to go off on her own. But she didn't. She actually went and talked to the, the uh, you know, the uh, the Admiral about it. She took Saru and, and she got a permission. How does that Yeah, make so, like, feel? actual growth. Yeah. yeah, like, whoa. That's that's kind of nice. A Star Trek show? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> permission is being had? I, I'm feeling a little, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. We we talk about this in the tech world we, where we'll... Um, we will sometimes have to take matters into our own hands and it's take the action and ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> so, and a lot of us are Star Trek fans and I wonder if that's hand in hand with some of what we see. Yeah. Like, where did we get that tendency from? Oh, that's right. 
we tend to, um, you know, I'm not saying that we're all rogue developers out there. Good golly, my boss is probably <laughs> watching this too. Uh, <laughs> so, well, with that in mind, let's uh, let's continue. They they get the permission to go as observers, not to take any action against the Emerald Chain, but it would go a long way, they say, to help with the um, reputation of the Federation for the wolves that had exited or, you know, were previous members. But um, but then again, we cut away to the Emerald Chain itself, and um, we talked about the coloration of the Orions. I think they did a better job this episode, where it felt like the makeup artistry and at least the CGI were in sync a little bit more, and they were actually more green, but I don't... Did you... You have a different I mean, take. To, to me, it felt kind of the same mm-hmm. as last time, but I don't know if that's me, like, having watched it, like, at, in the morning, shortly mm-hmm. after waking up, or what, but <laughs> it didn't look that different to me. Yeah. I, I will say it definitely was better to me, and then I watched it at night, and then I watched it again during the day, and, and the coloration... Because at first I thought it was my TV, because sometimes I TVs do a dimmer, you know, coloration or whatever to get you to go to sleep and whatever. And then it wasn't that. Definitely there was an issue um, with the makeup on the first time. Because they even do, like, in the previews uh, or the, um, the you know, previously on section, um, they had a cutaway to Tolar's introduction. And his coloration was different. I mean, it looks it looks different. And uh, this is also when we say goodbye to Tolar in this episode, because he gets eaten by a transworm. <laughs> yeah, and the timing of this was weird for me, because, you know, the transworm, because I, I'm actually in the middle of, like, listening to the audiobook for Dune, <laughs> which has the sandworm Different kind of worms, different kind of spice. Yeah. <laughs> different kind of everything there. Well, I actually really liked... Uh, the, the casting for Osira, the leader of the Emerald Chain, Janet Kidder, God, she is really good. And on the Ready Room, they had an interview with her as well. And I was like, wow, I want her to always be. <laughs> yeah, I hope Osira doesn't get killed off or anything like that because she's pretty delicious as a villain. She just needs to come back <laughs> and do other villains. Right. <laughs> she's pretty good. Um, yeah, well, I- I'm sure there are lots of Star Trek characters uh we want to come back after just one episode (laughs) so this is very much in that tradition this is true well it's kind of it's interesting like i've never really had a show that has always hit the mark on casting i can only think of maybe a few times where maybe the casting you know out of a 50 plus year old series of you know shows and and uh movies where the casting has been a little bit whatever, but every time it's been pretty much on the mark. And I can definitely say that's not true for other series and other shows where it's like, oh, really? That's the guy you chose for that? Or that person has, you know, not really present in the moment or, you know, just the acting is kind of obvious. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a rare thing. But like, yeah, there are some shows that hit the mark, like in Seinfeld, like when they cast Jerry Seinfeld as Jerry Seinfeld, I thought that was perfect. That was a brilliant choice. I mean, what yeah. other guy could do it? I mean, there was maybe, maybe, maybe Larry David could have been Larry David, but you know. Oh, I thought you were going to say Larry David playing <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> well, it was supposed to originally be about them too, and I think George became yeah. Larry's character, and they had to tone it down, which is why I'm so glad we ended up with the other show on HBO that we have because I yeah, yeah. enthusiasm. God, I love that show. <laughs> Um, it's a good thing I don't watch it before watching this because my humor would just, I, yeah, you would be hitting that bleep button the entire, 
Right? Yeah, yeah. But getting back to track your enthusiasm. Yes, I gotta track my. Yeah. Um, yeah. So getting back to that, yeah. <laughs> oh God, we're nerds. Okay, um, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um I liked the casting of everybody, and then now we're you know we're going back to the mission at hand. Well, before we get to um, the planet and we go into Black Alert and you know take the Mycelia network over to Quajan, we get a little bit of a taste of the resolution to our overarching mystery for the season, which is the burn. And I'm okay with the how quickly the pacing of the resolution is. I know some people are a little annoyed that it isn't over with yet and other people are like you know what are they going to do for the next what three or four episodes that are left and i think i think this is great yeah i think it's five episodes left after this oh yeah that's Um, right run eight yeah yeah but i'm fine with the pacing Mm -hmm. um throughout the season we've been expecting it to be a slow burn anyway so the way they've been handling it now it's like it's just yeah that's that's satisfactory to me yeah <laughs> like, and, i don't know what what more people want uh, just i think some people just like to complain <laughs> but, but <laughs> <laughs> there is more about an opinion that i'm writing overall about fandom coming out and i think you might be my editor on that i'm not sure <laughs> but, um about just just some of the stuff on this fandom and on the star wars fandom as well but the other side of that is I'm also glad that they didn't prolong the musical part of it and they tied it so nicely into what the actual issue is, which is that it's a Federation distress signal that's got some other message encoded into it. And um, we also get to see Stamets become, um, show off his chops as a proud papa, surrogate or foster or mentor to Adira. And I got my NB moment. And I don't know if I can show the, there, that's what I wrote when that scene came up. Like, I just, I just, I was so happy that, uh, we talked about the, um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where, uh, Blue Del Barrio got to express their actual, uh, gender identity. And that they said that in the Glad interview that they would actually do it in the show as well. And this is the episode where, uh, they tell Stamets, you know, she instead of she it's they and and that it's not a trill thing it's an adira thing and i loved that they clarified that and i was like yes there, there we are so <laughs> i i was um very very uh, just thrilled about how they went about it and i'm just looking forward to the um the continuation of that just dialogue and it's not so you know some people get annoyed about these kinds of issues being in your face and i'm like in your face it's always been in your face you know let's let's just say that we've never had the courage to talk about it and i think star trek is a wonderfully safe place to have that kind of conversation and they were the guests on the ready room today uh blue and ian were were both guests and uh it was just nice to kind of hear them talk about how much wilson cruz and anthony rapp were also functioning as their mentors off camera as well as much as they function as the character mentors on camera so that i think that's just something nice to to also hear i don't know if that impacts you as much as it impacted me but um it's it's kind of i mean it is it is kind of odd that it's treated well 
it, it kind of feels like it's supposed to be a revelation, like, in, in this era of mm-hmm. the show, which is, like, centuries from where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird that, like, it's in the future, and that is still a thing that's kind of a bit of a surprise. That's but, true, too. I agree. at the same I time, I do understand that Star Trek reflects the times that we live in and not always necessarily um, how we think the future might be. So it's, it's kind of a weird, like, you get two different sides mm-hmm. of the coin, but, um, you th- know, it is what it is. I think part of the reason why Adira was also cagey, I mean, you're absolutely right, like, it, 900 plus years, thousands of years in the future. Yeah, 32nd century. Th- yeah, thank you. Century. I was trying, like, what century are we in? This should not be an issue. And I think Adira's perspective is y'all came from 900 plus years ago. I don't know what the treatment of people like me was back then. My assumption is that it was positive and it was fine and I was accepted, but I would rather play it safe and, and not talk about it uh, and, you know, with others, with everyone so openly. But I liked how you phrased it too, that Star Trek is also a reflection of the current times and currently folks uh, that are transgender um, or um, even just even gay or lesbian are not uh, treated equally or fairly. And uh, by a unfortunate um, majority, I feel like sometimes of people in this country, so um, they're not accepted for who they are. So I, I like that the character reflected that mirror back upon us. And um, what was interesting to learn from Blue during their interview with Will Wheaton this morning was that it wasn't just that the character was going through that. They were filming this at the same time they were coming out to their family in real life. That That's a lot to come out. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> that's a huge burden. And um, Blue was talking about how supportive Anthony Rapp was of them during the filming of the episode. That after every every take, Anthony was like, are you okay? <laughs> is this, you good? You know, but I think I'm really hopeful that this is a way for them to work this out as well. <laughs> that uh, this forum, acting forum, gave them a chance to work it out. So anyway, um, well, let's move on to the rest of the story. Um, you find out that um, Osira and Kaim, um, Book's brother, are working together to lure Book um, out. And also, basically, they want to get to Rin. And you, you're trying to figure out what's the big deal about this Andorian that escaped, um, you know, Osiris custody. Um, other than being a runaway slave, what's the, what else does he have or what does he know? And, and, uh, so that's kind of a mystery. You also learn, you know, there is some foreshadowing about Detmer again. And the first time I watched this episode and they brought up Detmer's, issue i was like are they gonna actually do something about it this time or is this going to be something that they kind of build like all the other burns and slow burns that are happening throughout this you know uh you know fires that are happening throughout this season um but they actually they kind of get to it in this episode we'll get to that eventually and then we cut away to giorgio as we're trying to solve her mystery from the discovery perspective and you know she has one of her great lines uh, this episode, which uh, she's in this white cat suit, and she's like, oh, great, you're going to solve my issues by dressing me up as, like, a human spermatozoa. And I love the fact that she said human spermatozoa, like, she spelled it out, like, instead of saying sperm. I don't know why. I just thought that was kind of funny. 
Yeah, just one of those, like, off-the-wall lines that's just really (laughs) memorable. Yeah, it's just random. I mean, I think it was even more better than her line about, like, more better. That's not even English. (laughs) 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 It's not my first language, so what can I say? So... Uh, it's, it's better than her line, um, at the beginning of the episode where she was like, we used to cut, we used to kill the, our doctors and have them bury them with us. <laughs> you know, I thought that was great. I was like, no, no, no. This yeah. is even better. This tops that line so much more. Um, well, we also learned the book's real name. Did we talk about that yet? Um, we talked about it before recording, but ah. not during this recording. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. We, we end up always talking about a lot more at that time too so yeah it all blurs together (laughs) it all blurs yeah um book's real name it was something that bothered me and i know it didn't bother you as much but i'm like the dude's from another planet but his name is cleveland booker really well it turns out that's not really his name uh and actually because i was watching some of the short clips that they have on cvsl access and the extras section it dawned on me that there was a throwaway line that burnham had about this very same thing in some earlier episode where she says, yeah, his name is Cleveland Booker. There's a story behind that, but he won't tell me the story either. And I was like, oh, wait, maybe that's always been there. Like, and I just missed that line. I, those, those things where you think you've paid attention to all of it and you've taken like an entire, you know, Moleskine's worth of notes and you still miss something. (laughs) I mean, I guess the mystery of the name has never like bothered me because Maybe it's just because I've been burned by Doctor Who and how they built up this mystery of what's the Doctor's name and then they never reveal it. Right. <laughs> that one, that's, that's the scar like right here across my heart, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, but I mean, if you think about it, like if we were to learn the Doctor's name, like what would that change? Like, I know, but not much. If it, if it wouldn't change anything, then why build it up at all? It's, it's weird. <laughs> I just kind of, I, I hope that it was something completely unpronounceable, because whenever they talked about the doctor's name, I keep going back to that movie Splash with Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks. Before your time. I don't know if you've ever seen it either, but... Uh, I've seen it. Okay, so do you remember when she tries to pronounce her, like she says her name in mer- mermaid language, <laughs> like... Bust out all the lamps. Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I think of whenever they build up a name mystery. Uh, you know, they call her Madison in the movie, but then the, her real name yeah. is unpronounceable. Yeah, I mean, before the 12th Doctor regenerates into the 13th Doctor, he says that nobody would even be able to, like, pronounce his real name. So that kind of confirms that, I guess. Yeah, that's probably a little bit why that... Uh, scene always comes to my mind when the street lights get busted out when Daryl Hannah tries, you know, she speaks in dolphin or mermish or whatever <laughs> the language is. Right. Anyway. So going back to this episode with um with Giorgio, she ends up having another episode while they're doing the scan and we get a more clearer picture of her in uh the Terran Empire and she's clearly killed somebody and, and it's their her number three, either it's her third child or her third sibling, or, you know, it's the third something in her life, because it's the uh, um, Mandarin Cantonese word for three, San, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out who it is right. that she keeps thinking about, and I keep thinking that, uh, do we know how Michael Burnham died in the Eternal Empire? I, I don't remember. If we do, I don't remember how it happened, if okay. they did explain it. It's been forever. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago that I saw that season, so I... 
People are like watching or listening to this saying, it's this. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you try to do this? Star, Star Trek is so vast for so much of it. Like it's, it's ridiculous to think anyone can, or to think that most people can remember all of it just all at once. So I, a break. <laughs> I knew like, I know like one or two guys and I get a shout out to my buddy, Chad McAllen, who runs our Star Trek watch party. It's a daily watch party at 5 PM Pacific, 8 PM Eastern. You can find the group on Facebook, but we watch an episode uh, a day and that gentleman can just pull up a fact like that. And I've been on calls, Zoom calls and things with him. He's not looking yeah, stuff up. That's so. why I corrected myself and said, oh, it's <laughs> right. like, so. like, no, no, no. We know Chad. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, there's just a few people like that out there that definitely have um, a really good uh, recollection. The gift. Yes, the gift. The gift. <laughs> good golly. Yeah. If I could mind meld with Chad, I would, just so I could just hold on to all that knowledge. And also, he's a musical person, so I would get a lot of good music in my head. But, yeah, um, Star Trek musical episode when? <laughs> when? Oh my gosh. Now you've got me thinking. Well, you know, whenever like, they... Not even on Lower Decks, like, put it in live action on Discovery. Or Strange New Worlds, maybe. <gasps> Oh, they go visit. I can see it working on strange new worlds. I want to see Anson Mount do a dance number. <laughs> I kind of I, so I need to see that now, like badly in in uniform. <laughs> so. Oh, now I can't stop thinking about that. Okay, anyway, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. Focus, <laughs> focus. All right. Um, with this, uh, we're, we're talking about Kaim and um, you know. We find out a little bit more about why Book or Tarek uh, left the planet, um, the, the uh, Quajan home world. The, the sanctuary is a sanctuary for the most part, but then again, Kaim has also made a deal with the Osiris um, Emerald Chain to, Osiris and the Emerald Chain, I should say, uh, to harvest transworms. And harvesting those transworms is part of what keeps them going. Um, but they're infested once again with the sea locusts, which are really pretty, by the way. I mean, talk about a, a beautiful way to go as a civilization. Um, yeah. Like, it, it made me wonder, like, we see butterflies as these beautiful things, but, like, what if they could do something that's, like, really sinister or bad for us, and how would we react to that? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, once they become vampiric or... Uh, you know, zombie-like, who knows, maybe they, they carry a parasite and all that time, all those, you know, we don't know, right? We have no idea anything could be a carrier um, for the other apocalypse. Not the one we're in now, but the next one. <laughs> so. Right, Apocalypse 2. 2. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. It's going to be the Lunesta butterfly becomes sentient <laughs> and then it takes over. See, yeah. it just writes itself, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Yeah, we we should be in the Star Trek writers room. <laughs> no, we should. <laughs> <It's so ridiculous. laughs> yeah, that would be a lot of fun just to be a fly on the wall or a butterfly on the wall. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. Right. Anyway, the there's something about there's a kind of pesticide that the Emerald Chain allows the um, the Quajon homeworld to use to get rid of the sea locusts. I kind of feel like. 
I wonder if the emerald chain actually even caused the issue to begin with. So there's got to be something that, uh, I guess I'm thinking back to like how, um, you know, in other uh, sci-fi franchises where your um, mobster friend is really the reason you have the problem in the first place, right? So Or any kind of show. Um, but they don't really allude to that, so it could have just been a natural issue. But um, they they sincerely had the cure, and then what bothered me, and I'm glad they addressed it in the call uh, in the in the in the episode, was that the Christian species they can commune with nature, commune with animals, and talk to animals. And so you're like, why can't you talk to the locusts and just ask them to go? And they talk about it. I'm glad that they did this, and it's because there's too many of them, too many minds to be able to control or, you know, uh, access at once, and there's not enough people to do that. And so, um, yeah, it, it keeps it from feeling overpowered, and yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, and it's kind of funny, we're talking about, like, empathic beings that can speak to animals, and, you know, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I just... <laughs> This is what sci-fi yes, this does. Very fictional thing makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Accept it. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, I also liked the. I think of it as a throwback or a callback line to Picard, where um, Osira um, calls out the Federation on its hubris and says, um, "Yeah, but uh, we don't bend to that kind of hubris." And it goes back to the line in Picard from the Admiral when he yeah, asked sheer effing hubris exactly exactly yeah, like, for, oh. for some reason it's become such a name that like I was telling you earlier that it feels to me like I've heard it long before that show yeah and I I it's definitely not a Star Trek thing if it was something from before but it was in in um, the Admiral's delivery in Picard definitely that's what sold it and it is now permanently in the lexicon of Star, not just Star Trek. And, you, you, you know yeah. what it sounds like? It sounds like something that would be on a Cards Against Humanity. Card. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to come up with a card, aren't they? <laughs> I Okay, later I need to check if this has already been a card there, because it feels like it would oh, fit in that game so well. That's true. But, yeah. yeah, I don't have I don't have any of the newer decks that go with it, so maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Star Trek newer decks. <laughs> Cards against Star Trek humanity. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Starfleet it's... humanity. Whatever. <laughs> Wait, we can go on and on about that. Um, with um. Oh, I got it. I got it. But Star Trek pick cards against humanity. Oh, I. Uh, <laughs> that was groundworthy, okay. but I like it. Okay, that was good. Right, full circle. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice tie. <laughs> We're getting okay. back to the episode. So getting back to the episode. I don't know why we digress again. Sorry. It's midday for both of us. So we're both kind of like nervous uh, or like anxious, at least for me. And I haven't had any caffeine today, by the way. This is just oh, me without. I had peppermint coffee, but I probably would have been like this regardless. Same here. Like, I mean, it, do- it doesn't really change me much. Yeah. I don't drink coffee on a daily basis or caffeine on a daily basis. Um, I did have a couple of sips of a hot tea before, but that was just to clear my throat. Nothing. Uh, so more Picard than Janeway. Exactly. I am more Picard than Janeway, I have to admit. <laughs> I'm not a coffee... I, I like coffee, don't get me wrong, but definitely not a, a daily coffee drinker at all. Yeah, I, I do like coffee, but I don't 
my, like being able to take coffee black and enjoy it is something that's so alien to me. Like it's an acquired taste for sure, but it's like something like it's something that I can do if I'm just like bored and need to sip on something warm as opposed to like really taste and enjoy it. But it's, it's a fascinating thing. Like people who are able to like enjoy black coffee. Which, I actually do I like know, black coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I am a snob about the coffee I drink, but I just don't drink it that often. I, I get over the caffeine addiction. It's the best thing I ever did 15 plus years ago now. Um, okay. The daily addiction. I, yeah. Um, I turned my partner into a coffee snob, and then I stopped drinking it. <laughs> so, <laughs> we got the fancy grinder. I've had the fancy cat butt coffee. I've had, you name it, I've had that coffee. I've tried it, um, you know, small batch, whatever. It used to be in coffee clubs. But I don't drink it on a daily basis anymore. And I did the coffee club after I stopped drinking it on a daily basis also. Because <laughs> so. uh, you can taste the difference. It's like wine. It's just like wine. Anything like out of the earth. You can right. tell you tell where it's coming from. But um, anyway, less about coffee, more about Star Trek Discovery. Let's go back to the episode now. Um, I like how they solve the problem. And I like that. You know, poor Saru. Like, at first I thought he was going to be this great captain, and then he's sort of like, each episode, he's kind of like, no, no, no. And then this is the first episode where I felt like he actually did the Star Trekian thing, which was to uh, go against, you know, find a clever way to counter mad orders. <laughs> right. Otherwise, he hasn't, really. Think about it. But we've, we've also seen him in this episode, like, say... A couple of awkward lines. Um, oh, right. We haven't even talked about the best part. Like, yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like, so, like, this episode, compared to previous ones, uh, felt less engaging to me. Um, maybe <laughs> it's because I watch it, like, really early in the morning. Like, not super early, but, like, shortly after I woke up. But, um, but also, like, you know, the lack of him saying engage, like, like, how other captains frequently have like he's trying to come up with his own thing and say execute or carry on and like uh, I think my favorite line for this episode is execute just because of how stupid and awkward it is yes yes and it got me thinking about what my line would be and then I realized I actually kind of do in my other job I do tell people what to do when um, mine is get it done, and the other, like, if it's, uh, you know, less urgent kind of thing, it is, um, you know, you know what to do, let's get it done. <laughs> so I already kind of have one, but yeah, that, that would be mine, get it, get it done. <laughs> yeah, mine would be, if I had to get a word to substitute for engage, and I was the captain, I would say whoosh, like, you know, <laughs> kind of like in theater and improv and stuff like that. Improv. Just move but on then- to the next scene. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Whoosh, and then what? But what if somebody bongs you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both, right. yeah. But, but people also say whoosh in like long form improv when like you know you'll have like a bunch of people and um, it'll be like a couple of them um, will have a turn doing a scene, and at the end of the scene, uh, the person in charge of like saying when to change scenes will be like whoosh and then they go off and the next couple ah, of people want to do their scene gotcha gotcha i'm a i'm a noob in improv I'm, i've been taking from find a city improv down here and okay. you know i talked about this before you've been doing improv for a lot longer than me yeah, since so. like 
early 2015. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, who says Star Trek culture isn't educational? Exactly, right? <laughs> so there's, you know, yeah, we can we can have a whole other podcast just on uh, on the fun uh, improv journey itself. Um, but anyway, yeah. check out Find a City Out Improv too while you're at it. And you actually had some interaction with them as well after, right? I forget. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've met some of them probably uh-huh. at like some comedy festivals because I I used to go to UC Irvine uh-huh. and each year they have like uh, uh like the coup de comedy festival which uh-huh. is held by the improv team improv revolution so I'm sure there have been like some finest city improv people at at least one of those oh I'm sure and I, just, I just don't know who off the top of my head yeah they've been really great I, I would have started my second level but uh thanks to the holidays I'm just kind of taking a break and then I'll start up again but yeah I just did actually level- is Finest City yeah. in LA or San Diego San Diego okay yeah. I might have actually auditioned for them like ah. once but I don't know. They, they all have city in the name, so it kind of blends together. They might have an LA city branch. and their second city. So second city is LA. Oh, sorry, sorry, Chicago. Second yeah, city is Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So maybe I don't know. It's it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's also also Kyle kind of blends together, right? <laughs> yeah, like when you blend a good coffee. Right. Yes. Yeah, I don't blend single beans. I'm just kidding. I'm being sorry. That's really snobby. I don't. I don't. I don't care. I really don't care. I mean, I grew up on Folgers, okay? And then, like, as I got older and I could afford the nice stuff, I started to. <laughs> it right. doesn't hurt. Like, what does Starbucks have now? But Via. Via is what? It's basically instant coffee, which is what? Folgers. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it just kind of circled all the way back. But, okay, so going back to the episode, man, we're, like, all over the place today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we had, we had, um... The bombardment of, um, you know, Osira makes good on her threat to uh, bombard the Quasian homeworld. And, um, you know, she wants Rin. She really, really wants this Andorian. And the Andorian, um, I liked what they did with his character because he is antagonistic and um, and really terrified of being stuck on a federation ship he feels the federation is the enemy and then you understand why as the episode progresses that um he was born as you know from the previous episode he was born into the emerald chain he has known no other life but the emerald chain and as i don't know when the andorans left the federation but they um basically uh nowadays think of the federation as this sort of like how kind of how we as young kids maybe viewed the communist countries as you know like this really scary place that we would send our you you know you'd get sent to if you were bad or whatever you um there's a line at the very end of the show where he says you know if you want to scare an andorian child tell him he's going to um to uh federation summer camp (laughs) right Uh, but you know he's learning quickly though that the federation is not the enemy and it's not so much that he thought the emerald chain was really good because he actually did that you know tried to foment an uprising against osira um and uh, suffers the scars from it and i also just think that his antenna probably are not going to come back right because we talked about this in other groups where andorian antenna come back they, they do grow back and in his case Thus far, they have not grown back, and he's saw, he's already gotten medical treatment and everything else, and so um, I'm just I'm thinking that they may not. Yeah, I think this is a metaphor for how like the days of 
traditional TVs with antennas are gone. Like, mm. just get on <laughs> streaming today. Subscribe to CBS All Access or soon to become Paramount Plus, apparently. Right. Like, just get on with it. Stop living in the past. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although, like, whenever. Think of it, like, the Discovery Crew kind of could kind of be viewed as like a surrogate audience of like maybe saying like you know those of you who look at the original series so fondly mm-hmm. come to the future get used to all this new stuff like, yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> I, I mean leonard nimoy said it best you know what about you know canon forget canon i mean there's there are some things that you hold on to but it's all up for sale you know canon is Star Trek is what it needs to be for the next generation. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I do think it's important to be consistent with canon as possible, but I also think it's silly that some people pretend that Star Trek never had inconsistencies before in canon and that it's like a new recent thing. I mean, heck, the the only um, South Asian character had two different ranks and um, not a full name, like an air quote, because she was played by uh, um, the same woman who played Native American characters on original series. So, like, for me, like, personally, there was, like, no canon for me, right? You know, people like to see themselves and what they watch, and, you know, right. I had no canon. So, like, I was fine with the fact that they re- they kept, re you know, reshaping it here and there, because we didn't have canon, and, and um, I kind of liked that uh, we could reshape it once again and put us in there somehow or another, you know, as a background, um, even as a background player or what have you. It was nice to see, and I, I think um, there's a lot of things about air quote canon that uh, are problematic like that. <laughs> Right. So, um, anyway, well, going back to the episode one more time, (laughs) we're just having a good time with this today with, um, with the bombardment of the planet. Um, you know, you understand that, um, Kaim has a lot more at stake than he originally let on. He has a son that is also potentially going to starve because the sea locusts are eating all the crops and there's nothing without that, the, the regiment on hand or the, the um, insecticide or pesticide on hand uh, to, to take care of them, they will potentially starve once again. And so, um, and you find out just how much book really cared for his brother. And they're not really genetic brothers. They're like brothers in arms, brothers as, you know, friends, friendship. And he's like, wait, you have a son. You didn't tell me. And it's, you know, you can tell that it's like, Oh my gosh, I, I didn't know. And, you know, like there was just so much, other, you know, like, yeah, you could tell. Like, you didn't it, see the Facebook announcement of it. No, exactly. Exactly. They stopped, <laughs> they, they blocked each other, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they hadn't talked for a while. And, and uh, it, but it was obvious that they still cared about each other. It's like, hey, look, no, I'm, I'm finding, I still care about this planet and I still care about you. And, you know, let's, let's solve this together. And then um, with the whole not being able to really fire upon the ship directly, they obviously use, the the other ship that they have on hand, which is Book's ship, and Detmer and Rin take it out. And I really liked the pairing of Detmer and Rin because they both had issues that they needed to resolve. And we got our you know um, gratuitous grudge <laughs> in a fluff in the episode, which I was happy for. Um, you know, I liked yeah, that's a great adjective for grudge. <laughs> gratuitous. Well, is it gratuitous? Is it, is it fortuitous? I don't know. One of the two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I... I don't know. <laughs> I know you're you're not necessarily a, like 
do you feel like that they inject him unnecessarily, or do you feel bad that the cat's just left on the ship, like I do sometimes? <laughs> I mean, I don't feel... I don't know, like, it's just fun seeing, like, the Star Trek pets, like, whenever. Like, I always love seeing Porthos, um, who's my favorite Enterprise character. <laughs> but that's not a knock against the Enterprise characters, it's just that Porthos is my favorite Enterprise character. He's a cute um, Or, like, Spot in TNGs. Uh, I just love seeing the pets. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I liked, I liked Grudge, I loved Rin's reaction to it. I was like, what is this? Is this a pet? You know, what is it making this noise for? <laughs> So, and I like, um, it was kind of cute because Grudge was scared. I was really sad that Grudge was stuck on the, the ship as it was like, you know, going through an attack run. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, they left the, they left the cat on the ship. Uh, that was my thought. As a cat, you know, as a pet parent, right? They're not in the room with me yeah. over there. But, um. Yeah. I mean, if a pet were to get in a dangerous situation, like in space in a show, then uh, I'd be really worried. But also, like, with with something like Star Trek, I usually have faith that like they won't do anything terrible to the pet. Um, so uh, I guess that's why I wasn't particularly worried oh. with stuff like that on Discovery. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't worried they're gonna hurt like like something bad was gonna happen to Grudge. But then like there's that small little thing in the back of my mind that says, "Oh, what if? Oh no! Like what if they have to explain it's a book? Like is that gonna be a thing to?" Like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what happened. Um, so, like, maybe 10% of my brain was, you know, thinking about that possibility. But the rest of me was just excited to see Detmer um, literally take the reins in her own hands, fly it manually, and work with Rin to uh, disable the um, the Osiris, uh, Osiris big ship, you know, and, and uh, take it take it out and take it out of the uh, contention um, against uh, Quajon. So... It was it was nice to to see her resolving her issues. She's not any in any way like permanently healed or what have you. But I like what Owo said at the can um, at the uh, mess hall scene where she's like, "Oh my gosh, you know, you're gonna be like this. You're gonna be this gal, you know, for the rest of the week. You're gonna you know, this macho person, you know." And she was happy to see it, obviously, for her friend. But um, it was it was nice to see that and. It goes back to that same, you know, post-traumatic growth for all the characters. Everyone's been through it. Um, and that's been my grudge against some of the Star Trek fandom <laughs> is that they are they're annoyed at all the feelings. Yeah, um, like, what's up with that? Like, why can't they just let the characters feel what they feel? It's, yeah. it's weird. It, to me, it's been more unnatural that they never did, by the way. Yeah. So, um and I'm not the most touchy-feely person out there. And so for me to say that is like a, you know, like I noticed it. Heck, if I noticed it, then gosh, anybody that's got, you know, more of an emotional depth or, or what have you will definitely have sensed it. And maybe that's what was missing for some of the fans before as well that probably felt a little bit more um, or, or, or were looking for something more emotional depth from the characters. You know, like I like Spock. He's like my favorite character. Why? Because he doesn't have that much. He doesn't have a lot on there. Yeah, it, in retrospect, it's kind of odd that, like, me and my brother's favorite characters would be, like, Spock, Data, and the Doctor from Voyager. You know, the yeah. ones who are, like, not... Who, in some respects, are, like, the quote-unquote least human mm -hmm. in some regards. Yeah. But, like, they're just so fun to, like, watch and see grow how yeah. they do. 
And I think that emotional growth for each one of those characters you mentioned, or sentiency in the case of the EMH, right? It, it's um, it's part of it's why they're interesting. It's because they don't start out like us. I think maybe some of the other characters are too much like us, and that's why we're uncomfortable with them. <laughs> we're like, oh, that's like looking at it myself. I don't want to see myself on this show. I want I to mean, see. Something. I I do. As weird as this sounds, I do like seeing myself in stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like if a character is going through something that like I've gone through, um, like maybe a character will feel angsty over mm-hmm. something that I find relatable and it's, it just works for me. Like, like it doesn't, might not work for everyone, but it's, you know, Agreed. that's just how it is. Agreed. I mean, I, I like to see myself in as far as experiences go. And like, like I mentioned before, I, I really like seeing, representation in all forms and fashions on the shows that I watch. Um, I think I was talking more about the ugly side, like those, those parts of me that I'm not maybe happy about. And I see them in a character like, Ooh, oh, that's okay. too, <laughs> I don't want to see that. That's, that's exactly like me. I, I, I am that, you know, <laughs> what, you know, all, all the, all the uh, not so good parts, <laughs> the parts that make all of us uncomfortable. I mean, they, they exist. And I like the fact that discovery has, um, bothered to slow the pace down on the emotional health of the, of, and make it more realistic and, and more relatable, um, to the number of people that are experiencing them. Uh, it's, yeah, that, that was my main gripe that I alluded to earlier about, uh, this fan group in right. particular. It's like, um, the, the number of conversations I've, I've had about Burnham's crying and Tilly's crying and how it annoyed everybody. I'm yeah, like, oh my I've God. I've seen those comments from uh, people. Yeah. It's like, no, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, anyway. Um, Ima- imagine if they do an episode where the characters are just not being very emotional. And then you yeah. find out like at the end that it's not the actual crew. It's like it's holograms or androids that are like <laughs> emulating them for some reason. Or like, like a virus that takes away their ability for, you know, uh, their emotional sides to, to shine through uh, or something well, like I mean, that. Virus is a little too close to home these days. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I said the V word. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not Vulcan like we like to hear. That's the good V word. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> the other one that's the other one. Oh man viruses and stuff like that with with the end of this episode though tying it back they actually do get um the sea locusts to leave and you also learn that the question um the way their um empathic powers work is that they can't and i don't know if this is they can't or won't but they won't um or they are unable to force a creature to do what it wants they can talk to the creatures and uh kaim and tarek's slash book combine their powers and then they utilize the i'm assuming it's where the deflector array or the um deflector dish is on the discovery to ask the massive population of sea locusts to move back out to the to the sea and um they save the planet and it's it's another win for discovery um and that going back to the burn part there is an algorithm that Adira is working on to decipher um, that encoded message. And I'm glad that they didn't solve that. Like that's like, it's like, it's still a, a little tasty thing for next week. And I'm really hoping they go back to it next week. What yeah. um, I will say is I like how the writer's room doesn't bother teasing out the things that we think 
um, like other other shows would just kind of harp on or just keep uh, drag it out. Yeah, yeah. So with Giorgio's particular illness, they actually address it in the preview that they show in the ready room. Um, but they also uh, give us some other things to be concerned about and other alarm bells <laughs> around um, things that could possibly be wrong with the rest of the Discovery crew. Basically, Giorgio is dying because she is not only a person out of time, but she's also out of um, existence, meaning she's from the Terran parallel universe. And it turns out our atoms like to be um, where they are from, both linearly and physically, you know, timeline-wise. And uh, there's only been one other person or uh, creature that, um, or species that, did what uh, Giorgio did uh, coming across during the temporal war from the Terran empire. And that person um, named L- Lieutenant Yor, he actually died um, because of the stress of it. And um, much can be expected of the same to happen to Giorgio. Now, what was alarming to Dr. Colbert and to the rest of us, I watched that preview is wait a minute. So you're saying that um, the entire discovery crew, which also leapt forward in time, is also at risk. And Eyeglass's guy, who's given Culber all this information, kind of doesn't answer that question and kind of talks more about um, the Terran uh, Lieutenant Yor and um, how that, that person didn't survive. And that species, I can't tell what they are. Um, really curious and excited and annoyed that I have to wait an entire week <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to find out more about this. But I, I like that it's yet another layer to the mystery that they added. And yes, I would like to be a butterfly in that, that writer's room when they come up with that stuff. That's kind of brilliant. Instead of being like lazy, like so many other shows might have, uh, have done. Um, and I'm, I'm looking, really looking forward to it. As far as my predictions go, I think we're going to get um, an answer to what caused the distress call. And it's going to be shocking. And I wonder if it's going to tie to something that we might get, might have gotten out of Voyager or Picard or something later on in, in a later series. Uh, that'd be kind of cool if it was. The other thing I predict will be that um, we might lose somebody between the next two episodes, between Giorgio and somebody else. I think, I don't know if Giorgio is going to come back or not. I, you know, I don't know contract wise or whatever, but I think uh, I just don't have a good yeah. feeling. <laughs> what I about think- you? I think they'll find a way around mm-hmm. Georgia. Like, mm-hmm. I think they'll find a way to keep her alive because, like, her lines are just too good. That's know? true. That is true. I will. I hope so too. The other character that I'm actually surprised wants to be a part of the crew is Book. At the end of this episode, he's so impressed and enamored with how the Federation saved his home world that he actually wants to join up. And I actually thought the opposite would happen, that he would get so um, flustered and feel so um, uh, inhibited that he actually leaves. I just, that was just my thought that he wasn't going to stick around, but you actually saw this coming. Yeah. So early in the season or even before the season started, really, when they talked about book, it seemed like he'd be an important character and he's very important to uh, Michael. So uh, to me, it would have felt weird if he were just like a one season character. And so I thought, okay, eventually he'll like 
join up with the crew somehow and like be a regular pretty much like so that's why like this didn't really surprise Mm -hmm. me that much and i think my thought process around why i thought he would not last was because of ash tyler from season one i just assumed that like book um um, bookum was gonna be a a single season thing that's why (laughs) it's just because no main character in star trek ever gets to have a romance fulfilled (laughs) so (laughs) And maybe that's a that's a trope that uh, needs to be broken too. And maybe I should I should rethink how I feel about romance in that way. <laughs> so. I mean, I I guess you have a point in terms of like if it's a character coming from the outside mm-hmm. um, having a romance with the regular as opposed to like two regulars having a long ongoing romance. Like, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that is kind of weird. <laughs> that's the only reason I was like, no, he's not going to last. I was just like bracing myself for his death. And I'm like, oh, he's going to die. This is just going to be horrible. And I'm just going to be inconsolable for days. <laughs> but I'm really hopeful. And, and like, I'm going to be even more sad if like they build me up to this. And like, I'm, like the last episode, like something bad happens. To him. <laughs> I'm going to be really sad. Um, right. More so <laughs> than I would be. But like I said, I'm just so... Like, that, that Pavlovian response, right? <laughs> like, any romance in Star Trek, oh my god, it's gonna end. It's gonna, it's gonna end horribly badly. <laughs> so, um, pretty much all of my life has been Star Trek. I don't know life without Star Trek, so 40-something plus years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, a long time to, to feel this way. So it's like, if you're wondering why I'm so conditioned to be so negative, it's like, no, 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 but the entire show, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for spending time with Stephen and me today to talk about Star Trek Discovery Episode 8, Sanctuary. If you want to learn more about Culture Slate, please follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have specific questions or commentary about this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us on Star Trek culture podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, we have that Patreon account. If you would love to find out more about what we do behind the scenes, find out about our future projects, or just find out about more about us. And if you have any interest in, in working with us, just um, hit that Patreon link and we will get you connected to the right folks. And um, Stephen, I look forward to talking to you next week. There's so much more fun stuff. And um, are you going to be able to go to the, uh, the uh, Galaxy Con thing this weekend. I'm jealous because I won't be able to. <laughs> I, I might try to watch it. Okay. Um, yeah. So if I do, I'll like, I'll um, say like what went down. Yeah, <laughs> please do. There's always something fun. Yeah. Isn't the Shatner gonna be do there? like a mini recap? Is is Shatner really gonna be at this one? Uh, I mean, that's what it says. I know. I know. We'll see. Kirk himself. All right. Well, thanks so much again, and uh, we will see each other next week. So, uh, yeah. Live long and prosper. All right. Bye.